Welcome to this new thinking for a new world podcast of the Talberg Foundation. What do the current protests against police brutality in the US signify to non-US citizens? Do they consider the US a racist country? Do they believe the US can transcend its history? In this episode, Alan Stoger, the chairman of the Talberg Foundation, discusses these and other questions with Sitwa Namwali, an award-winning Kenyan poet, playwright and performer, Faustin Lienkula, a dancer, choreographer, director and storyteller from the Democratic Republic of the Congo, and Anna Paula Ordorica, an anchor of a daily news program, a columnist and news commentator from Mexico. I saw an article the other day that was titled Transfixed by Disease, Recession and Outrage. And it went on to discuss the current circumstances in the United States. It matters to all of us whether the United States is in terminal decline or just going through one of those bouts of madness and self-doubt that from time to time seem almost to overwhelm America's better angels. Why don't we start there? What do you think? Anna Paula, is it decline or is it just a hiccup? Well, at first, when I, I, I'm seeing what is going on in the U.S. right now, where you have three big crises, each one independently would be overwhelming. You have the worst health crisis that the U.S. has faced since 1918, since the Spanish uh, flu pandemic. You have the worst economic crisis the country has faced since the 1930s and the worst protests the country has faced since the 60s, late 60s, it looks uh, daunting. For me, the U.S. is unrecognizable in how the country as a whole, having Donald Trump as its president, but thinking that he is, as you have said many times, and I agree, Alan, he is the cause of and not motive that has the U.S. dealing poorly with all of these three crises, and not only dealing poorly, maybe even making them worse. So I first think that it that the country is unrecognizable. But then if you take a longer look back, you find that, first of all, the U.S. has faced these crises before, and sometimes uh, it looks as if it were the biggest decline, and it isn't. The question, Faustan, are we the United States recognizable to you? What do you think? Well, um, for a long time, of course, the U.S. represented like um, the light of forward thinking and like the land of all possibilities, with all its, you know, um, its divisions, and because these are not new. Like the current riots, they don't stem from like from nowhere. This is a long history of marginalization of uh, injustices, which this time, given the current circumstances, makes it like just um, explode. Um, um, and so, I would say I still recognize the United States in that. Already hearing that um, the Minneapolis uh, police is about to undertake this massive 
review of how uh, they they go about policing and eventually implement um, changes means that this is a country that faced with um, serious threats can spring back. And to see all the people who've been mobilizing since um, like, the death of George Floyd, and even to hear so many former U.S. generals taking the position they did, or even the chief of the Pentagon saying our people are not our enemy. I'm like, well, I know this America. And of course, there is this other dark side, like any other society, like any other um, individual for that matter. But you have within America itself forces of resistance that makes me, maybe I'm just too optimistic. Like, well, at least for now, I don't see like a sign of a collapsing empire. I see an empire which is faced with serious, serious uh, difficulties, a huge crisis, and yet within it, there are forces that can resist. Are they enough to like, change fundamentally um, the course of history? I can't say yet. So tell us, how do you see the states at this point? Okay. Um, I think that it's um, a temporary situation. I don't think the U.S. is in decline. I think what is happening is that the weak points, the fault lines are being pushed and exposed um, and have, you know, to breaking and have broken um, because this pandemic, that's one of the things that it's doing. It's showing us the weaknesses, the fragility of us, the systems that we've created, the time bombs that exist that we normally can just, you know, pretend aren't there or handle, you know, with, with some platitudes. That isn't, that isn't possible anymore. So, so for me, it's like an explosion of the underlying issues, some of the biggest underlying issues, um, you know, particularly race, uh, that, that have really ex exploded. And so it's an opportunity um, to actually face something that the U.S. was never going to face or was, you know, wasn't going to face this, this quickly. The, what I think is the most important immediate follow-up do you think the United States is a racist country? Yes, I do. I, I was. A, yes, I do. I, I think uh, the, the United States is a racist country. I was a student. I did my master's degree in the United States in um, from 1982 to 1984. I have also visited, and I have lots of. I've had lots of interactions. I mean, I'm, the, the United States is an interesting country because we all. We all have a stake because we really do have a stake. We, I have relatives there, you know, friends and, and so forth. And I was appalled when I went to the U.S. at the level of racism that, 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 that existed. Um, it was very special. And, Apollo, the same question to you. Mexico certainly has a long, intimate, and often unfortunate history with the United States, but also a positive history. Do you think of the U.S. as a racist country? I do. Um, 
although I'm saying this in a country that there is also racism, which is Mexico. And uh, this past week, we had manifestations that started in the U.S. Embassy in Mexico City, Pacific manifestations, um, protests, and uh, a half an hour later, after starting, you had people dressed in black with uh, signs that read Antifa, and uh, the people walked towards a very rich uh, part of the city in Polanco, and they painted um, the walls saying, uh, how does hunger look from your balcony, you whites? And so I, I'm talking about racism from a country where I think we also have racism. But I think uh, in the U.S., what you have is a country that still carries the history of slavery on its back. And it has not solved that part of history, no? Um, because in, since the U.S. became a world power uh, after World War II, the country is one where... There has been social mobility where you can achieve the American dream. And this uh, allowed a middle class to become bigger and for this social mobility to occur. And the government then did not uh, work in, in creating a welfare state like the one you see very successfully uh, until recently in the European countries. In the U.S., there was no welfare state because you could achieve the American dream by working hard. And it didn't matter if you were Hispanic or if you were black or if you were Asian. No, um, But now with a few decades where this social mobility has not become so easy, where children rarely earn more than their parents, where life expectancy has fallen, where inequality has increased, then... Uh, you are now starting to see in the U.S. that uh, the, this lack of a welfare state um, becomes evident. And this makes people unhappy. And part of that is what we are seeing today in the streets, people angry at what one policeman did to one black man. But it, it is just like uh, the, the last uh, straw that made uh, the fire burn, no? First, and same question to you. Do I think that the, um, the U.S. is a racist country? Oh, yes. Yes. And this is a country that was built on that uh, premise of like the negation of the humanity of part of its people. And even though um, we're over 150 years after the official end of slavery, somehow that framed um the way black people particularly are perceived in the US and you still have a lot of people who cannot shake that off them and the presence of these forces make makes it possible for someone like Donald Trump to be the president of the US today clearly there has been there is a view in the black community in the United States that police are bad. That, that sounds simple, but it, it's, a, it's an overpowering statement, and we've seen it on, in many cases and for many years, but intensely the last days. As you, from a distance, watch the United States, do you see solutions? 
this is an incredible opportunity. What has been um, only known in the in the black community, only acknowledged in the black community, has been exposed to the rest of American society. And so this is an opportunity for the society to do something. And you know, if I if I take my experience with police around the world, you know, the first time I I went I left Kenya, I went to the UK, and I was a teenager. I was I was there to play tennis, and in various tournaments. And so I would I would ask you know the the people that I'd go to for help were the police. So I'd I'd go to police officers to to ask them directions, and I can't tell you how kind they were. How how safe I felt. I was I was just blown away by their politeness and you know their willingness to help and they're going out of their way to help me. Um, when I came to the US, uh, I had already heard and I'd read, you know, America is, is well known all over the world, right? So I'd heard all sorts of negative things and I wouldn't willingly go to a police officer. Um, and and other countries have have overcome uh, uh, problems. The, you know, the British. I'm sure the British police were not always like this. You know, were not always like the the way I experienced them. Um, the Norwegian police have not shot a person in ten years. So there is there is hope. There is um, possibilities. And and um, one of the things, though, I think it was Anna who who talked about um, the experience of slavery. That is that is a, for me the root cause because when I see the way they treat um, African Americans uh, as opposed to the way they treat let me just say people of color um, Americans of color and as opposed to the way they treat um, white Americans it's so distinct and it's so different and there is a there's a reason for it and and I think those are the, some of the opportunities you you have now to actually address those reasons the sources in a very objective manner. So far, Stan, the question of institutional racism versus individual racism. And as you've encountered the United States and as you've watched the United States, how do you think about the institutions versus the people? Well, somehow I can say that we are, we have the institutions that we deserve, really. And so, the institutional racism really springs out of this core uh, group of people, an important, for that matter, group of people in the United States who are still hanging onto um, this um, this thing upon which the United States is built, which was like at first it was on the negation of the humanity of of others and like it's it's i'm in europe right now and i know that in in most european countries i travel to that question of racism is slightly different in that like in france for instance they benefited from slavery and all the exploitation of black people uh, but it was not directly part of their daily life so they deal with this in a different way, while in the U.S., they had to build mechanism of making this acceptable on a daily basis, and that takes time to to disappear. So the institutional racism is there because you have all these people who 
fundamentally think that this is the way things should be. Do you think that there is a future where the U.S. is not racist? That's a long process, and it is possible because, again, as uh, I look at what is happening now, and I look at the forces that are resisting this, um, it means that it will not happen overnight, but it is a process that will take time, but it will happen somehow. Because you just, it's, it's when the time is ripe, things happen. And this is one of those that will just end up happening sooner or later. So tell is there a time now or in the future when these this lesson of history, this impact of history will be cleansed from the US psyche? I think if if the US is willing to do the work, if you're willing to do the work, um this is possible. But unfortunately, if you look at if you look at what what has happened in history, um because um black people are the ones or people of color are the ones who are um who who whose lives are uh are, are neg- very negatively affected they're the ones who had to struggle and fight to get a seat at the table those who are sitting at the table already are they willing to do any work white americans have to start being able to do the work, willing to do the work that um, is required for them to become less racist as individuals, but also the institutions. You know, America has got huge amount of research and wonderful uh, documentation um, addressing all sorts of, of issues, redlining, um, Jim Crow, all those all those um, uh, policies that, that people sat down and crafted to prevent a certain group from from moving forward have to be have to be addressed um so um and then and then the other thing that is so interesting about about america is that you know we watch you struggling it's almost as if you're a proxy for the human race in many ways so you 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 know you're, you're you're struggling and you're fighting you know to overcome this and overcome that and in, and 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 i don't think you should um so so yes we we want you we want you to to be better we expect you to be better but but it's also like it's also for me like you're a proxy for the for all of us your struggles become our struggles your successes allow um uh uh conversations and opportunities to also open up in in my country on this continent as well Anna Paula you mentioned the riots of the 60s uh there's been an awful lot of institutional response, I would argue positive response, from Johnson's Great Society through all sorts of programs and spending and laws rewritten, changed, uh, and we elected a black president. You can make a case that the United States of 2020 is not the United States of 1960 uh, in many positive ways, but obviously there's people in the streets as we're talking today, uh, who would make the case that not not much has changed or not enough has changed. What do you think? Well, I think they would be right to say that not much and not enough, but still there has been change. 
if you look at it uh, from a political point of view, you know that, uh, for example, 92% of black Americans voted for Barack Obama. And you know that Hispanics mainly vote for Democratic uh, candidates. The white American is becoming a minority and minorities all summed up are becoming a majority and politicians can no longer uh, disregard this. And that is why you see uh, the candidates both from both parties learning Spanish and making some comments, trying to win uh, Latinos or trying to win over different minorities. So I think things have changed, but not enough. But I mean, it's, uh, I think it's not an easy change to come upon. Faustin, let's talk for a moment about the current president of the United States. Do you think he's an aberration or does it reflect something of the kind of tensions that all three of you have been describing between the good angels and the bad angels, the history and the desire to change. For me, it's not exactly um, an accident or sort, but more of like the part of this tension uh, that we've been talking about from the beginning. And there are times when you you have. Uh, you know, the balance of power swinging in one direction at at one particular moment. Uh, Now, my biggest question mark is about November this year. What will happen after these elections? Will the experience of the past four years be enough for people, even those who would say Hillary Clinton is too smart to be our president and, you know, I just can't recognize myself in that so she can't represent me, would they still feel so strongly like that that they would rather have Donald Trump? That's the big question mark. But was it, a, um, was it like an aberration? I don't think so. It's a translation of a reality in, you know, in the American society. Zatawa, if Donald Trump is reelected in November, how would you interpret that as a statement about where the United States is today? Um, I think Donald Trump as a person is an aberration, but as but he's also a symbol of something. He's a he's a symbol of um, an America that exists that has all probably always existed. Um, and it continues to exist. And one of the things that I've, I've come to realize is, is, you know, is that we exist, human beings exist in silos. So we, when, when, when somebody does something that we don't understand, we often say, oh, so-and-so is ignorant. No, they're not. They have a very coherent worldview, just like my worldview. Um, they will vote for Donald Trump because he makes absolute sense to them. Um, the other day when he went and held up a Bible, you can bash him, but there was something he was doing. He was signaling to his, what, 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 what Americans call his base, right? So he was signaling to them. And I read some, some um, um, uh, articles uh, uh, interviewing people who support him. And they were, um, they, you know, they, they, they've got a coherent 
uh, story there. They've got a coherent narrative. They understand him. They get excited. Um, so those people, those people are there. They're not going to be. They're not. They're not being affected by whether he handles the economy well or whatever he does. They are supporting him. Anna Paula, I have to. From a Mexican point of view, the U.S.-Mexican relationship has gone through some very weird turns over the last years, and certainly. You had the experience of Donald Trump campaigning against Mexico and against Mexicans four years ago. Well, um, first, I want to say that I was in New York City the day Donald Trump won the election. Um, I was sent to cover Trump headquarters, and I had another journalist colleague sent to Hillary Clinton headquarters, and he uh, has been in working uh, for the company that we both worked less time than I have. I had covered past elections. So when, when they told me you have to go to Trump's, um, uh, headquarters, I was like, why do I have to go there? I want to go where the party is going to be, where Hillary Clinton is going to win. And, uh, well, the surprised one was, uh, not only, uh, I think, Trump or uh, or his team, but I was there and I was surprised to see that the unthinkable happened. He won. Um, and then we fast forward to Inauguration Day when Trump talked about American carnage. And I had never even heard about that word. I had heard about the American dream, not American carnage. And you could see people sitting, uh, the, all the uh, in, uh, people that were invited to be present there, amongst them George W. Bush, ex-president, looking at each other saying, what is he talking about, American carnage? And uh, sadly, three and a half years later, this that did not make sense now starts to make sense. I think uh, Asitawa and Fostan were saying uh, what Trump represents is more than himself. It's a part of the American people. 2030, American carnage or American dream? Fostan? See, when I look, when I look at, uh, at the U.S., I can't help but look at my own country, like in the Congo, and where America had represented like an ideal of like an open society, free, democratic, an ideal of a society where everyone, if they worked hard enough, could build their own life and their own, their own dream. And so when I see America in this state, when I look at those pictures from Minneapolis, I, and I see like some mild reactions from Congolese politicians, and I'm like, well, I think the way America treats black people at an institutional level is exactly how our leaders have been treating us for all these decades. So this is the basis upon which nation states in Africa were invented. It was that story of negation of humanity, exploitation, and violence. And to date, we still treat one another in that way. America still 
deals with uh, it, uh, its black populations in the same way. And yet, inside America, there are all these forces of resistance that somehow gives me hope. And I would say that the forces of resistance uh, constitute like a critical mass and a mass critical enough that to make me feel and think deeply that even though chances are that Donald Trump could be re-elected in November and the world would have to face um, this reality, um, this madness for four more years. But for me, it's like, thanks God, it's not a dictatorship where you're president until you die. It will be four more years, then America will be so broken that you know they'll just have to pick the pieces back and do something good after after this so there's still a possibility of a dream it is very bleak but i'd like to believe that there's still that possibility for the american dream sutala dream or carnage 2030 dream or carnage uh right now carnage um the and your unemployment figures are shocking and how quickly everything how quickly things started to fall apart was extremely um unnerving and um if you have f- you know four more years of donald trump th- it it's not going to be good i think it's it's really going to you know you're you're really going to slide down r- right into carnage um yeah, I think I think carnage. Anna Paula, you've told us we've found the carnage already. Can we get back to the dream by 2030? I think the American dream is definitely still there and the American carnage as well. So I guess uh, uh, it's a matter of ups and downs, which one prevails. And I think they can both coexist. In an ideal world, hope that the carnage... Uh, be abolished, but I think that would be utopia. So my my guess is both. You will still have carnage and you will still have the dream. Well, thank all of you for your thoughts, for your reflections, and fundamentally for the idea that it looks pretty bad at the moment, but there are forces, there is a history, there is the possibility uh, that the U.S., can in fact again be better thank you very much thank you thank you it was a pleasure thank you absolutely thank you for listening to this episode of the new thinking for a new world podcast we welcome your comments and please subscribe to other episodes in the podcast app of your choice this podcast was made possible with the generous support of the stavros niarchos foundation 